Welcome to the Besties with Breasties podcast. Sarah Hall here. I am a certified health and wellness coach, athletic trainer, mom, and breast cancer survivor. I help women overcome their own mind drama to make mind shifts that open up the possibility for their most empowered and energetic life. And I am Beth Wilmus, author, speaker, and founder of a human investment organization, otherwise known as a nonprofit called Faith Through Fire. Our mission is to reduce the fear and anxiety that breast cancer patients feel and replace it with hope and a path toward thriving. This podcast is about our experiences with breast cancer and life after as young survivors and moms. Let's talk about this because today we- Stalk about it? Let's talk about it. Did I say stalk about it? (laughs) Yeah. That's the second time I've said that. Yeah. Let's talk about this. We have special guests today. We do. It's very exciting. Yeah. Do we want to tell people who that is? No, we just surprise them. Yeah, of course we're going to tell them. Okay. Yeah. So Sarah's and my husband are with us today in studio. My husband was a little bit apprehensive about coming. Was yours? For sure. Yeah. Why? Uh, I feel like Eric's like, Eric's like got a good, like bold personality. Yeah. I thought that he'd be all about it. Yeah. I mean, he's excited to share. I think at first he was like, well, what am I going to talk about? Say they don't even know right now. Yeah, they know. have no idea. Yeah, I think my husband was more reserved. He's he's like kind of that m- more reserved guy. Anyway, I love how we're talking about them as if as they're, they're not sitting right in the right, right in the room. They're sitting yeah. right there looking at us talking about them. Oh, we're here. <laughs> <laughs> okay, why don't you introduce your husband and I'll introduce mine. Okay, so I talk about him all the time, but my husband is Gary. He's sitting right across from me. Gary, do you want to tell people how long we've been married? Because I often forget. Do you know? Ooh, both put on the spot. <laughs> Sixteen years. Oh, you must have done the math before. Two thousand five. Okay, Gary and I actually both forgot our anniversary before. Have you guys ever done that? Nope. No. No. Is your anniversary a big deal for you guys? Nah. No. No. Nah. But you just you've never forgotten. Yeah. Yeah. Just, so it's, it's like the one thing that happens in May for us. Oh, okay. Yeah. I can't remember. I was in the car, and all of a sudden, I get a text from Gary that says. Sorry, babe, but I think we both forgot our anniversary was today. <laughs> the only reason I remembered was because my mom texted me and said, happy anniversary. Oh, my gosh. And I said, that's okay. I totally forgot, too. Guys, Google Calendar. We don't have... Reoccurring sh- events in Google Calendar. You'll never forget anything. We don't What's have- this now? <laughs> Google? What's Google? Oh, jeez, oh, you guys. <laughs> well, we have been married for 10 years. 10 years is last May. Yep. So we just reached our decade. How did you guys meet? We met at a friend's house. Oh, I got this one. Oh, okay. Okay. So here we go. We had a mutual friend that we didn't (laughs) know that we had a mutual friend. Okay. Uh, I went over there one evening to hang out. Sarah was passing through town. uh, No, I I came to hang out. I wasn't passing through town. I I live there. You're passing through O'Fallon. No, no, no. He, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got this. He said. Oh, okay, got it. Yeah. <laughs> Ten years later, it's coming to light that yeah. it was intentional that yeah. she was there. Yeah. She planned it the whole time. Yeah. Sarah came in. We started talking. We connected real well. We. I let her beat me in pool. That's right. Yeah. And maybe what 15, 20 minutes you were there, and then you left. Mm-hmm. And I looked over at my buddy, and I said, "That one is mine." Mm-hmm. Really? So you and were the, a smitten and, kitten right I, away. Oh, I knew. And the, and when I left, I also felt the same. And then he MySpace messaged me. Oh yeah. And we went to bike night, and we had our first, first date. First date was on a motorcycle. Yeah. Really? Yeah. That's fun. I'll never forget though either because I was getting ready and I was like, oh gosh, like, oh, I gotta At look Hooters, nice because I really do like I really do like this guy. And he texts me and he's class. like, you don't have to look nice. Yeah, it was bike bike night at Hooters. <laughs> yeah. 
You guys went to Hooters for your first date? Oh, yeah. That's how you know you have the right person. (laughs) When you can be like, we're going to Hooters, and both parties are like, hell yeah. (laughs) Like, you're like, I'm marrying this person, right? For sure. Yeah. That's hysterical. Yeah. Yeah. Um, How did you guys meet? So we had mutual friends. Like, Gary's friend was dating one of my friends. Gotcha. And that's how he and I met. And I was probably smitten with him before he was smitten with me. And actually, I had- Obviously. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> for good reason right right clearly <laughs> clearly gary had so much game that that it, i was begging him for, oh, a, for, sure. for yes, attention yes, yes. was how that was working out but yeah i liked him first and we chatted and i think i don't know you liked me right but you weren't sure yeah <laughs> no, no no we hit it off we hit it off right away yeah oh, nice but i had to call you first didn't have to but, but I did. did. I did. I called him first. I asked. I more or less asked you out first. You did. Yeah. I mean, you're persistent. Tenacious is how you have been described. Yeah. We don't say we don't say bossy and we don't say pushy. We say tenacious. It's good leadership skills. It's nicer. There you yeah. go. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So we've all we're in that ten to yeah sixteen year range of marriage. <laughs> yes. All right. The sweet spot. That's sweet right. Spot. Ten That's to right. sixteen years. Yeah. Ten to- <laughs> So this is what we're going to talk about today. We wrote the boys in because yep. we want to talk about, like, we're starting our series on marriage, mm-hmm. right? So we're going to talk about how our husbands felt when they found out we had cancer. And we're going to talk about the biggest challenge they felt as caregiver to us and to the kids. Yep. And maybe we'll land on how we, we all think our marriages were impacted, both good and bad, from what we all experienced together. But before we do that, we are going to cut to our first sponsor. We did it. We fought our way to survivorship. But for some of us, our story unfolds to include lymphedema. Hearing this new diagnosis can be disheartening, but with the right care, it doesn't have to be the burden it once was. FlexiTouch Plus is a comfortable and convenient home management therapy clinically proven to control swelling better than self-massage while reducing infection risk, outpatient visits, and lymphedema-related care costs. Talk to your doctor to see if the FlexiTouch pump is right for you. Learn more at tactilemedical.com. So I want to hear from both of you. How, we'll start with Eric. How did you feel when you first found out that I had cancer? Well, so that was an interesting day because it was Valentine's Day. Mm-hmm. Which is a day we don't celebrate anyways. Right. Yeah. yeah. Valentine's Day is not a holiday. So it our, hasn't been ruined for you. No. no. So it's not no. like it's now, you know, been sullied. No. No. Okay. You can't ruin something that terrible. <laughs> Oh, which, Agree. before we continue, it should be known that Gary absolutely ab- abhors. abhors Valentine's Day. Clearly. Like All he... Right. Well, now we celebrate it for different reasons. Right. Yeah. yeah. Okay, continue. Okay, carry on. So anyway, we went to the oncologist and she was going to do a biopsy and we pretty much knew that it was, it was like the unspoken, this is cancer, but we have to do a biopsy just to make sure. Which is like an out-of-body experience, I feel like. It, it was. It was very, you know, we we already knew the answer, mm-hmm. but we had to wait for the actual scientific answer mm-hmm. that says, yes, this is, these are cancer cells, this is cancer. And because of the way I process life, my first reaction was, all right, we got a problem, we got to figure out how to solve it. And that's kind of... That's kind of the way my brain tackled it. I don't initially have lots of emotions about things. <laughs> I go, all right, this is a problem. We can handle it. Let's figure out what to do, which yeah, I'm, sure, it, I'm sure we'll get on to 
in the in the later later in the episode but that is not the best not the best mindset with mm-hmm. something like cancer yeah why did you feel like that was not what uh, you needed i mean i felt like in that moment i was probably very similar like this is happening and i probably had feelings about it but i was just like okay what do i need to do and i, I was gonna say because when he's talking about this i'm like i feel that's how you are yeah it yeah. is yeah. like so you guys are the same it's not like you know you're coming at it from fix it mode and you're not you're right. Like in my interactions with you, I feel like you're very much like that. Yeah. Yeah. Give me a task. I'll do it. Yeah. Team yeah. Hall. Yeah. Until, you know, until you hit the wall. Team Hall until you hit the wall. Wow. That's a nice little rhyme. That should be a T-shirt. slogan. Yes. T-shirts. So, T-shirts will be dropping 2022. So you're doing this thing and you're just like already thinking ahead to how are we going to get to the other side of this? Right. Yeah. It was. Here's a problem. Let's fix it. We'll figure out how to get through it. We got this. Okay. Yeah. So emotionally, like, were you guys like detached? Detached. Oh, detached. Yeah. Both of you. Yeah. I for I, the first what few months at least for me, I felt like that detachment happened all through treatment. Yeah. Until I got done, and then that's you know. But we, I've shared that in my Fallout episode that that's when I really came to terms with everything. So we had. I mean. We, we can share about this later, but there was a moment for Eric whenever he, when it came, like, to you and you had emotions about it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I think you can suppress it for so long and then it's going to eventually bubble up. Yeah. And it's going to surface in some way, shape or form. Yeah. I feel like you, Gary, processed the news that I had cancer more emotionally than I did at first. I mm-hmm. felt like I... And I've talked about this in a previous episode that when I got the call that I had cancer, Gary works out of the house and he was like coming down the steps for coffee. And I just looked at him and said, I have cancer. And I just remember the look on your face. And it was just. Yeah, it was. I was stunned. Stunned. Yeah. Like, did you not think that this was coming? I think I knew. I think I knew as soon as I felt the lump that this was cancer. But I think he thought that it was a false alarm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was. I was really hoping and I thought there was a good chance that I mean. Obviously, she was young and there was no family history. And so I thought, okay, you know, this is going to come back and we're going to get good news on this. Yeah. But no, I mean, yeah, I was stunned. And so I, I, my my initial reaction after you said that was, I don't know, I just started, my head was flooded with stuff. It was started thinking about, I don't know, I mean, he, worst he, case scenario. And he it was to, jumping all over the place. He tried, to com- he tried to comfort me like right away. Like he reached for me and my first instinct was to pull away. Mm-hmm. Like I was the one that's that immediately went to detachment. Mm-hmm. Like he was like, I'm so sorry. And which at the time felt like pity. And mm-hmm. I wasn't ready for that yet. Mm-hmm. Like I, I think we were both flooded with emotion and it was just, and so he reached for me and I just kind of like stiff armed him. Like I kind of, he hugged me and I had my arms to the side and I just, it immediately, I started detaching myself from the situation and mm-hmm. just like was in a state of shock. And I think like you and I sat down kind of on the steps because we didn't have a ton of time to think about this before we had to go pick up the kids. But I don't know that you jumped into fix it mode. I think you were just trying to process like what just happened because I think we both realized at that moment like our lives were going to be completely different. There was a little fix it mode because when we on the drive to go pick the kids up from school, I called my friend Carrie, mm. who's an oncologist. Yeah. So there was let's find as much as do we something can. about this. All right. Mm-hmm. See if we we'll, see what we can find out and. So yeah, you, I mean, we talked to her basically the whole way there and the whole way home, mm-hmm. just to get a handle on what's coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you felt we, I felt helpless. It was you know just is kind of like now we know this news and we're just kind of supposed to sit here and wait until mm-hmm. we go see somebody. It's like I can't do that. It feels good to do something to try to. Yeah, yeah, yep. What do you feel like was the biggest challenge 
that you guys faced as we were going through treatment. So now you kind of know where you are. Was it happening fast for you? Now that we had just got diagnosed. Like, I, I what feel, was... Didn't you feel like it was so fast and so slow at the same time? <sighs> uh, no. Yeah. How did you feel? Well, initially... We had a newborn. Yeah, no. <laughs> oh, that's true. Initially, it was a lot of waiting. And that was the hardest part because she was pregnant and they said, we can't do anything. So first... I, I think the way her oncologist put it, first, we have to get you not pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> we have to get you unpregnant, then we can do figure out what to do. And so it was, she was 31 weeks, mm -hmm. and it was, we will induce you at 35 weeks. So you have to wait a month before we can even look at any mm -hmm. options. Wow. And so that was really tough. It was just wait. And then, you know, again, we just go, all Gosh. right, we got to wait for it, and then we'll figure it out. When and I then, think back on that time, it feels like between the time of diagnosis and her birth, it feel, I don't I like have lost that time in my memory. Yeah. I don't that's remember I don't does. remember that time really at all. That's because that's what trauma does. It erases your, your memory. You saying that it felt like a long time. I don't even I, I oh, felt yeah. I felt like it was like diagnosis, I had her. No, for, I think that that first few months because the first month was wait to mm -hmm. be not pregnant. And yeah. then and then we'll handle it. And as soon as you delivered Henley, she was super healthy. She was tiny, but we were begging them we to let us go. Like we we can get out of the hospital. She's healthy. Mm -hmm. We can handle this. We need to go. And she actually called to schedule her MRI from the hospital before we had left after having Henley. And because that was the plan. As soon as you're not pregnant, schedule an MRI. Mm -hmm. And she called to schedule an MRI and they said, Cool, we can get you in in about four weeks. So it was wait another month till when she was actually going to be due yeah so we had her five weeks early and then they said wait another month and we'll figure out what it is then and, I, I and think there's was... so much about this that's interesting because you're recalling all those details and like you said that's a blur for you yeah like, i mean i remember everything from when henley was born but now that i'm thinking back on it like the time from that day on valentine's day yeah. to when i had her like i couldn't tell you what happened in that month at all and that doesn't routinely happen in my life i yeah. usually remember well everything. and our youngest was one when i got diagnosed like she had just had her first birthday the month prior and i cannot imagine that was hard enough having her be that little with our mm -hmm. two older ones but i cannot imagine doing this with a newborn mm -hmm. there's a lot of anger that mm -hmm. in that because we couldn't do anything you mm -hmm. know that was my my brain said let's fix this problem and it was wait a month and then oh by the way wait another month before you can even start tackling the issue. And, and did you guys feel robbed because here you should be enjoying your daughter and yet now you have yeah. this thing hanging over your head? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was tough. Yeah, it was definitely tough. That would be so, super intense. But again, we jumped into that fix it mode and mm -hmm. Sarah was like, fine, I'll find a new oncologist. Yeah, I did. I mean, <laughs> and is that and what you she did? did. Yeah. And it, it went great. <laughs> yeah. I think that, I mean, Sarah, you and I talk about that all the time, that if you're not happy with mm -hmm. the way things are going, that you got to take the reins and make a change and yep. not be afraid to. And it's very easy, like when you're in that moment and all this scary stuff's happening to feel paralyzed. Yeah. So it's yeah. kudos to you for having. You have to. It's it's like we teach this in breath work all the time. But if you just stop and you take a deep breath and then you move forward, like it gives you a clearer head and then you mm -hmm. can make a better decision. So, yeah. I'm glad the I'm almost glad the way that everything turned out. It was really frustrating at the time, but yeah, it worked out good in the end. So I here's a question I want to know. What did you guys think was the hardest part of treatment? Like what did you guys, you know, being the caregivers, having to take on all the responsibilities for parenting and, you know, financially with the work and and then watching us go through that, what part was the hardest for you? I would say I it felt lonely. Yeah. It was lonely. I mean, even like, you know, after your treatment and 
you know, feeling sick. You were up in, in the bedroom. I mean, we were just kind of like living our lives downstairs. Mm-hmm. And, you know, with all the kids, I mean, the kids and the routine and all that stuff, it was good because it was a distraction to a point. But then you're just realizing like it's day after day. And then when mm-hmm. you start to feel better, you'd come downstairs and you'd hang out for a little while, you know, for a day or two and then be back to treatment. And we go through it again, you know, and it, I mean, it started even when you first, your first surgery, when you went, and then afterwards you went to go live at your parents' house for a little while, you know, so that they could take care of you. Yeah. We didn't, I don't know that I've ever talked about that. No, you haven't. So, what? okay. What? So, what well, that sounds weird. Like, oh, I went to go live with them. Yeah. But so <laughs> like, like all of a sudden I just went to go live with somebody else. Yeah. Did so, I just out you? Yeah. Right. <laughs> okay. It does sound really weird. So we had a six, a four and a one-year-old. And I was going to have my double mastectomy and we had not really told the kids that I had cancer. We had we had explained each part of the process separately. So we were just taking it piece by piece and kind of telling them. So the first step was mom needs to go have a surgery. It's going to be like when she went to the hospital and had baby Charlotte. And we didn't know what that was going to be like. We Mm -hmm. didn't know what recovery was going to be like. We didn't know how hard it was going to be. I knew I was going to have drains that needed to be changed and all this stuff. And I didn't want the kids routine changed at all. Like Mm -hmm. I wanted to keep things for some reason when I was diagnosed, it was so important to me mentally. And I think it was just a total hang up. Mm -hmm. But in my mind, it was like, if I can keep things as normal as possible for them, Mm -hmm. then this isn't happening. And so I didn't want to be there disrupting the routine. And so it was my idea. I was like, why don't I, after I have my double mastectomy, recover at my mom and dad's house for Mm -hmm. a week. And I think it ended up being two. I think I came home on the second week. But I'll recover there, and that way the kids' schedule can stay the same. If it's if it's a hot mess express, they're not going to see it. Mm-hmm. We just didn't know what to expect, yeah. and I wanted to shield them from yeah. seeing anything that they, you know, might might scar them. Was that's, was my thought? The exact opposite. That's of interesting how we because did. yeah, that's exactly yeah. the opposite. Well, which you had multiple kids yeah. who yeah. could understand. We had Piper who was three and a half, three and a half, and we decided. We're going to bring her in right away and tell her what's going on. Mm-hmm. We're going to share everything with her so that she understands the whole process that we're, you know, so like when we're changing drains out, she under, she understands it. So yeah. we, we put everything on the table. We mm-hmm. told her, which what, I think most people explained do. cancer to her, mm-hmm. you know, showed her the, she, the surgical I mean, as sites much as and, she could get it as a three-year-old. Yeah. 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 yeah but we, we wanted her involved in the process yeah. to yeah. be able to, I guess, cope with it along the way. Yeah. I think we've talked about this because I think the consensus in the in the mental health field is that that's probably the healthier way to do it. But <laughs> Gary and I have talked about this a million times and we do not regret going no. that path. Mm-hmm. It was so, the kids just didn't skip a beat. No, I, yeah. I totally respect your your guys decision. Anybody else yeah. who does that. Um, I just even looking back, it's not something that I feel like we did made the wrong move. I do feel because our kids were small mm-hmm. and I think they have such a limited bandwidth. Yeah. Yeah. And understanding. So I, yeah. And so yeah. I and I and I feel like there was a greater potential to upset them, to scare them yeah. over something that they didn't fully understand or control. Yeah. yeah. So it yeah. was a matter of yeah. I'm not going to burden them with yeah. that. And when we're just going to explain what we need to explain that what you're seeing mom go through, what you're seeing mom how she her body's changing or you know her hair and all mm-hmm. these different things was it's because of medicine she's got to take this and mm-hmm. I figure just give them what they need. 
to where it doesn't upset them. But we did yeah. say, we and did say to each other, yeah, we did say that if they ever directly ask or they seem fearful, we were going to be completely honest. It wasn't mm-hmm. like we were going to lie to them. Yeah. Sure. So for that reason, I did, after I had my double mastectomy, I went to my mom and dad's house and I have to say that it was wonderful because I, <laughs> they, they doted on me mm-hmm. like 24 seven. My mom and dad doted on me. They took mm-hmm. care of me. I didn't have to worry about how does this look in front of the kids or mm-hmm. what are the kids doing or how how's Gary doing? And they just doted on me and I recovered really quickly. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was walking and moving around within days. And at week two, I was back home with the kids and Gary and and stuff. But I can imagine how lonely it was for Gary. Your wife is not only sick, but now she's not in the house mm-hmm. and you're still having to parent the kids and do all that stuff. So yeah. I I completely could see how lonely that would be. And I, I feel like it's lonely, too, because I think as the patient, you're just mentally somewhere else a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Like at one point, Gary had to tell me, like, you're freezing me out like mm-hmm. this. This can't go on. Like mm-hmm. you're trying to distance yourself from us and it's not working. Mm-hmm. And when he called me on it, I realized he was telling the like, yeah, OK, he's right. Yeah. I'm for some reason, I'm emotionally distancing myself from him, from the kids. And once he called me out on that, I guess that allowed me to put that wall down. Mm-hmm. And then it was like we were in it together. Do you feel yeah. like that, Gary? Yeah. Yeah. There, there was, you know, it started, I think, when you first got the news. Like you said, you were wanting to keep everything at arm's length. And I'm not sure why. But then, yeah, after we had that, after we had that conversation, things started to change. Yeah. So what do you, you guys both feel like, because I'm sure Eric, you, you agree that it's uh, like pretty lonely to be on the other side. I don't feel like I felt loneliness because we were at home, all, all four of us at that point, the whole time. For me, it was the, you know, the feeling of I have a job to do. And mm-hmm. so I, you know, my MO is I don't process emotion very well. I say, I'm going to fix the problem. Mm-hmm. So I didn't let myself, I didn't let myself become emotional about the situation. So I was the caretaker at mm-hmm. that point for however many months, which means I shut off all of my personal needs mm-hmm. to take care of her and the girls. And you forget about things that you don't know that you're doing. You know, and one big thing was that you don't have sex when you're going through birth cancer treatments. Mm-hmm. Right. It's it's not an option. Mm-hmm. But me being the t- caretaker with two girls and one a newborn and her going through treatments, I didn't take any time for myself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know that I was doing that until I hit a wall mm-hmm. and just broke down. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't you guys? I mean, I, I think that sex for men is how you feel close to your wives. So oh, if, definitely. If you're not having mm-hmm. sex with your wife and then on top of it, we're mentally somewhere else because we're grappling with this whole, am I going to die? Am I going to leave my family? Yeah. Like you can imagine that intimacy is probably not top and center yeah. for any of us. And that's yeah. got to be like, I mean, I will say that when I was going through treatment, the last thing on my mind was sex. But I can imagine that it was probably on your guys's mind because mm-hmm. that's how you feel close to your wives. Because yeah, they're dudes, too. You're dudes. Yeah. And now your wife isn't accessible and they're having all these surgeries and stuff. So I want to dive into all this. But before we do, do you do you want to do boobs? Yes, let's do boobs. Okay, so. okay, I'm excited about this, you guys, because (laughs) usually either Sarah or I do the boobs and the other one doesn't know. But this time we put the boys in charge of boobs. In the news. Boobs in the news. (laughs) Right. Let's be clear. 
Let's be clear. So we told the boys their homework was to bring up boobs in the news, and we may do too. Should we do two? Yeah, we're definitely doing two. Okay, so they each yeah. brought one. Yeah. Um. So for the people that are listening, boobs in the news is like a lot of people's favorite segments. So you're mm-hmm. getting you're getting a double whammy today. So boobs in the news is a funny segment where we read funny tweets from real people or ridiculous news stories. Boobs in the news. Boobs in the news. Boobs in the news. All right, Gary, you're up. Okay. All right. So mine comes from a Turkish man. So this is, you know, international news. Okay. A Turkish, a 50-year-old Turkish man, Behan Mutlu, who lives in the northwestern province of Turkey. Can I just say, you you have never been more sexy to me, the fact that you could pronounce his name. <laughs> if you look at it, you wouldn't be you wouldn't be all that impressed. It's pretty straightforward. I know I couldn't do it. Anyway, continue. So Behan, he gets drunk and wanders into near the nearby forest, the nearby woods, and turned up missing. And so his friends formed a, a search party. Okay. And so the search operation was formed. Uh, it was a group of volunteers and some of his friends. And eventually, Behan finds the search party, joins the search party <laughs> without knowing what the search party is. <laughs> And the search party was yelling his name. And he was standing amongst them. Standing amongst them. And it says that Behan became confused and asked who they were looking for. And so he said, I'm right here, he told them. And then so police realized that the man that they were looking for had joined joined his own search party. What in the world? And, and I thought so you were you are officially getting all of our And so the they gave him a ride home. Oh, Thank you. <laughs> Okay, you said it was made up of his friends. I'd call that a success. Maybe the friends reported it, but the police were involved. Oh, my gosh. It's hilarious. I'm going to say Behan hit his head on a rock. For sure. Okay, well, I don't think we need to guess who the boob is in that story. Behan. Behan. All right, Eric, you're up. Okay, mine is less international. Okay. But out of Florida. Oh, it's always out of Florida. If you're looking for idiots... It's and in Florida. Boobs doing stupid things. It's, it's Florida, Florida or Germany, right? Go to Florida. So this <laughs> this story is out of uh, Deltona, Florida. Okay. Um, it was just actually just Daytona two, or two Deltona. Weeks. Del Deltona. Okay. Deltona. I didn't know there Florida. was a Deltona. Uh, this was two weeks ago. So this is Dewey Smith, who was arrested Wednesday by deputies with the Volusia County Sheriff's Office. Okay. okay for suspected break-ins uh, in vehicles along a road. Okay. And this is some great detective work by the sheriff's deputies. As they were canvassing the neighborhood, they spoke with a woman who said that Smith, who was an acquaintance of hers, had stopped by in the night asking if she knew anyone who wanted to buy a gun. She said he also asked her to call a number to check the balance on a gift card, and when he left, he raided her trash can and took a box of pizza that she had thrown away with leftover pizza in it. So while they're doing their investigation, they search the first car and they find on the center console marinara sauce. The marinara Mar- gave them away? Marinara sauce on the center console. Then they go to the next car down the road and they find a pizza box with leftover bites of pizza Oh no! in, in the vehicle. Goldilocks left the crumbs. And so they put two and two together and they caught him walking the street about a couple miles away and picked him up and they said, we know it was you. And he said, you're right. You caught me red handed. (laughs) 
<laughs> deny, Dewey, deny. <laughs> I mean, really, in any uh, law and order, the criminal would have been like, you got nothing. You got some marinara in a pizza box. Like, I don't think right. you got the joke. I don't get the joke. It's marinara sauce. He said, red you caught me. His hand was literally red. Oh, my God. <laughs> Beth, it's a good thing you're cute. <laughs> I totally missed that. <laughs> See, that's my ABB kicking in. <laughs> she got caught up in the... So I'm the, the, I was in the details. I was, like, really trying to follow the details. Now you're one. the boob. Now yeah, I'm you're the, the boob. boob. <laughs> All right, fine. That's the boob. <laughs> Bibs in the news. Bibs in the news. Bibs in the news. So we're talking like we, of course, we got to like the intimacy thing pretty quick, but which mm-hmm. I think is a huge issue for like a lot yeah, as, of people. As you should on most occasions. Right, right. Yeah. I think people would tune well, in. Well, no, a- I, I mean, the reason I feel like we should talk about why we wanted to do this episode, and it's because we see a lot of women who the issue in their marriage becomes the intimacy. And that's the reason a lot of the times why Marriages their relationships don't last. don't last through a breast cancer diagnosis. Well, okay. Or so cancer be- diagnosis. So general. before we go there, I do want to say this. I think that if there's some, some similarities, because I think as couples, we're different in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. But I would su- suggest that the thing that we're similar in is that all of us exhibit a lot of resiliency. Mm-hmm. Right. Like we're just kind of like pick yourself up. Yeah. We're, we're going to we're going to plow through. We're going to make this happen. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I think that a lot of time for marriages, because marriages either make it or they don't make it or they're really impacted and they're on the rocks. It's like, I wonder how much of that resiliency and all of us kind of exhibiting those traits helped us kind of come through to the other side. Do you did you guys always feel like marriage was always like we were going to figure this out no matter what? Or do, do you know what I'm saying? Like, I think for us that it was it was a great tool in the beginning for you know what we're a team we're going to handle this together we're going to get through it we're going to figure it out i think that the issue that i had in the long term was that i never let go of that mentality and i never let it become personal it i i I treated it as you know what this is a problem we got to fix it Mm -hmm. and i never i never let myself be vulnerable to the emotional side of it Mm -hmm. and it, which is why you get tearing now. Yeah, which is which is yeah. why now I can mm-hmm. I can choke up about it. But yeah, I I didn't I didn't realize how important that part of the process was was to not just treat it like a problem that you have to fix. But it, it took me until the point where I hit a like I said earlier I hit a wall, and then it, I didn't know what to do with that emotional baggage that I had just been tucking down underneath problem solving. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we talk about all the time, like that emotions are going to surface. And mm-hmm. I think, I mean, I don't want to speak for you, Gary, but you were pretty good at tamping those emotions down as well. Like, did you feel that way or did you feel? Yeah, like... I don't, I don't remember feeling emotional at the time. I think it was, you know, I think I, I was using, like I said, just the the routine with everything and staying busy as a distraction from letting my mind go to the worst places. Did you feel like Eric did though, that you were losing parts of yourself in this whole process? Like that you felt like you're, I mean, I, I personally am just saying that I think that you, even now you can, sometimes it's always about me. Like even today we have a nonprofit, we're Mm -hmm. dealing with breast cancer. Here we are five years later, we're still in it. It's like, it's always about us. It's always about what we're doing and what happened to us. And I just could see how it'd be very easy to feel lost in that shuffle, like where your needs get put second for an extended period of time and how stressful that must feel. I can honestly say that I did not feel that way. I really? felt no. I felt like my my role in this was to just be support. I mean, to step in and do what otherwise you would be doing. 
I don't know. I, I just, I don't know. Maybe that's how I, you know. I just wonder, I, I like, all I, of us being so resilient, if it's, like, just really easy for us to try to kind of ignore how it really feels. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it, it was for me. It was easy for me to sit there and be like, I'm fine. Everything's fine. Emo- yeah, emotions are just, in general, very vulnerable, and you have to, like... You have to face them to get through them. And if you just if you don't ever face them, then they're always going to come up when you talk about that. So, yeah. 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 So, okay. So you're talking, Eric, about how this was like you you were kind of suppressing all these feelings. Like, when did it surface? Like, when did you figure out, oh, shoot, I have to, like, take care of my piece in this, like, you know, get my head wrapped around this. I don't know uh, a specific time. I just know that it was I just broke down. I I didn't. It was like a flood. You know, Mm -hmm. like I pushed all this stuff behind in in the back corner until it kind of just broke loose and then i i was super emotional again and and i think that's why you know three years later i still get i get choked up at the groundbreaking you know just simple stuff like that it i get choked up just thinking about it now because i don't feel like i processed it very well emotionally in the beginning Mm -hmm. and a lot of that came from seeing a counselor Mm -hmm. which i highly recommend to anybody Mm -hmm. if you're going through treatment or your spouse is going through treatment go see a counselor and talk to somebody so that you don't end up repressing all Mm -hmm. of that and 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 that was huge for me was to speak to somebody who is unattached from the situation Mm -hmm. who could ask lots of questions and i could open up to in a very vulnerable position Right, because you know they're not going to judge you. Right. I feel like that's the value of counseling is that you have somebody that is not going to judge your feelings. They're going to validate them, if anything, Mm -hmm. and allow you to feel the way you actually feel without fearing that it means something. Yeah. Right? Right. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's, like, critical. Yep. So let's talk about, like, what we think. What's the good that came out of it? Is there good? Is there good? Or is it just, like, this has been a train wreck that (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) The look on both of your faces. So, like, in in what ways did going through this and, you know, there's always got to be some kind of, like, light at the end of the tunnel. What, in what ways has our marriage got better since? Are you asking me directly? I'm asking you directly. You you guys are looking at each other. And then Uh, Beth can ask Gary. We have always. (laughs) And I can talk about my marriage to your wife. (laughs) 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 We have always based everything we do on good communication mm-hmm. and even still during that process it wasn't my role was not to communicate my feelings to you it was mm-hmm. to be the provider of our family mm-hmm. and make things okay and so i you know i learned a lot about how i communicate emotion mm-hmm. and now at the point that we're at now letting you know those things mm-hmm. before they get to a point where I can't control it anymore mm-hmm. and it just spills out. Mm-hmm. So I think, yeah, I learned a lot about how how I deal with issues and understanding that it's okay to be, to have feelings d- even during times where you're, you know, I feel like my job is to be in charge, I guess, or mm-hmm. to be the the provider. I can still feel so you can be a strong stable one and also have feelings correct there you go do you feel like you're married to the kind of like yours and sarah's marriage is the kind where you can be vulnerable with her and she is going to respect how you feel and and kind of honor that like do you is that a safe space because i feel like that's a big part of a good marriage and getting through something difficult is that there's no wrong answers to some degree right like you can just hear what they're saying and respect it and just 
I don't know. Like, it has to be a safe space. Like, if I tell Gary how I'm feeling, I know he's not going to attack me for those feelings. Mm -hmm. I mean, not that we haven't had some hard moments because we have. But I feel like trust that you can get through that is Mm -hmm. really critical if you're going to be real. Like, I don't know. I think what's really interesting that has come out of it is that we we talk about our differences, like even when it comes to like the way that we view things, how it could be different. And at the end of the day, we can respect that your view is different than my view. And and it's still fine. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know if that answers your question. I don't know if it does either. I'm done psychoanalyzing you too. Okay, I know. I'm like, we just, just turned this into I, a therapy I couch. think you guys are really cute. I just uh, think, I see, I think you complement each other quite well. Yeah. So I was just, yeah. you know, I don't know. Okay. Do, I mean, do you feel like there has been something good that you learned from the experience that has made your marriage better? Yeah, I definitely think that. And I think that some people who might be listening to this will shake their head and say, no way. But it, going through that experience totally strengthened our relationship our marriage and that's what i've kind of heard since you know being going through this and getting to the other side of this is that it kind of does one of two things right mm-hmm. it'll, it'll bring you closer or it'll split you apart mm-hmm. so it feels like you know something like you go through something this big almost feels like going through war together mm-hmm. and in our case it it brought us a lot closer strengthened our marriage strengthened our faith but, it, but I th- yeah but i think it also yeah to that point it changed our perspective on a lot of things mm-hmm. it helped us put things in perspective the things that we were putting importance on we realized and, and this is something that we could then go through and acknowledge together that we were really focusing and putting too much importance on the wrong stuff yeah you know job status money mm-hmm. stuff yeah not to say that you know those things are bad but if, if, you know, for us, it was now that I look back at it, we were totally pointing in the wrong direction. And I mm-hmm. think we've gotten our bearings straight, I guess. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, now obviously the, the whole Faith Through Fire and this lovely podcast <laughs> has, has come out of this. So there's a lot of good that has come out of it. And I actually think that we are both better for it. For it. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. agree with you. But I mean, it, I just, it, it takes like intentionality. And I think that fortunately for us, and I do not take it for granted we grew together instead of mm-hmm. apart. But I think we always had that intent, right? We went into it like we want to be stronger for this and we want us, we're going to be in it together. But we had a strong marriage going in. We did. Yeah. And that really helps. That so really I think helps. It, I think it's a lot, it's a lot more touch and go if the marriage isn't so great mm-hmm. going into it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Before we wrap up this episode, let's hear from our second sponsor. SSM Health is a proud sponsor of the Besties with Breasties podcast. One in eight women will be diagnosed with breast cancer during their lifetime. Early detection is key and keeping up to date on yearly mammograms could be life-saving. At SSM Health, we offer patients in the St. Louis area online scheduling for mammograms, including next day appointments. Visit ssmhealth.com slash schedule ma'am to make your appointment now. Do either of you guys have any advice for people listening whose marriages maybe have been impacted or who have just been diagnosed and they're grappling with how this is going to impact their marriage? Any words of wisdom or things that you wish you had known before you went through it? Respect the emotions that come with the whole ordeal, even if that's not your normal. Don't don't bury the emotions and use your resources. We had a great team behind us between family, mm-hmm. coworkers, friends, everybody People are going to give you as much of them as they can to help you in your journey. 
use use that mm-hmm. and don't feel guilty about using it. Oh, yeah. that's a good point. We yeah. didn't even touch on that. Yeah, there Eric, is no guilt in no but letting people help. I do want to yeah. have good good one, Eric. You stole my yeah. I, <laughs> next time, I want to go first. Yeah. Well, you can you can speak to this, Gary, because you had at first he struggled with accepting help from other people. Like he felt like that. Sh- I'll no, let you speak. That's to that. exactly my answer. Is now you know, especially from the the husbands or the caretaker side of this equation. Yeah, just to say the same thing that Eric did is accept the help. Mm-hmm. The the offers of help and support that you get from your support circle and your loved ones, take them up on it. Because once I kind of finally gave in and started to do that, it was really nice. I mean, to have people around, to have people help you out, to help people making food, all of it was all of it was really important. And looking back on it now, I've I've, I've resisted it and kept it all at arm's length for way too long. Yeah, you, can, you can practice your thank you face in the mirror. Thank you. <laughs> Just thank say you. thank you. Just yeah. say thank you. Yeah. So true. Yes. So thank you for being here today. I'll practice my thank you face. Thank you for coming and being vulnerable and sharing about your experience. And next time on the podcast, we are going to be speaking with Marie. She's going to be sharing her experience with her marriage. And she is a self-proclaimed jerk before her diagnosis. Oh, I love this story. And how her cancer diagnosis changed her. So until next time, guys. See ya. If you are a breast cancer survivor and you love Besties with Breasties, make sure you join our survivorship support network at faiththroughfire.org to gain access to exclusive episodes that are ad-free and uncensored. 